I know that you are really, really anxious to hear the word of the Lord this morning. (laughs) Amen. Praise God. Very good, Grace Church. Much better. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. We've been doing a series entitled Charge, and it has to do with uh, several, you know, the word charge means several different meanings. We talked about the first week how it has to do with having our spirits charged, very similar to we keep our batteries charged in our devices, uh, keep our car batteries charged, keep our device batteries charged. Well, in in, in our walk with God, we want to always keep our spirit charged up to be prepared, the Word of God uh, refers, we refer to Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, said that you would receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses in all the earth. And so the idea is that you would receive power when your batteries are charged, they're full of power. Many of our, our tools today, power tools, are battery operated rather than the extension cords that we used to have to string all over the construction sites and over your home projects. Well, today, most of our tools are, have, a, have a power pack on them, a, a battery. And so, it's, you know, do you ever decide you're going to do a little project and you're going to grab your, your drill or your little saw saw and you just, you're all ready of all the stuff laid out and you grab the saw saw to cut a piece of pipe or a two by four and the battery's dead. <laughs> haven't, haven't kept it charged. And so many times that's how it is in life for us. We're all amped up about doing something. We get all ready to do it. We're we're, we're ready to embark on it, and nothing's happening because we're not charged up. So we need to stay plugged in. We need to be charged up, amped up, have our hearts filled with the Spirit of God and, and, and be ready to serve him at all times, just like we keep our device batteries charged up at all times. So this morning I want us to... Turn to Mark chapter 16. One of the definitions of charge also is, is being charged, such as in, uh, receiving a commission. And in Mark chapter 16, we have the com- what's known as the Great Commission. We have it in Matthew 28 also. But in Mark 16, verse 15 and 16, this is the, the words of Jesus. Matter of fact, let me begin at verse 14, because I always find this to be encouraging, especially when I'm struggling, just not feeling like I'm up to the task. In verse 14, this is after Jesus is resurrected and, you know, so forth and, and, and getting ready to uh, delegate the responsibility of kingdom work over to the church. In verse 14, it says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. Now just take a moment and just think about that for a moment. Jesus is about to delegate. He's about to, be, to ascend to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he calls the disciples together. And, and he's calling them together to give them a charge. He's going to give them what we've grown up in church. We've grown up to know this as the Great Commission. So he's going to give these guys the Great Commission. Everyone say Great Commission. He's going to charge them. All right? Now, just pause for a moment. Let's look at this again. He appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he charged them. Is that what your Bible says? What did he do? Rebuke them. For what? Their unbelief. (laughs) you talk about a God of faith you talk about a God who sees the end result he doesn't see it as it is he sees it as it shall be and as it will be and I want you to just 
receive that for yourself. Because there's many times we pass on the charge, on the commission, on the command, on the inward voice of the Holy Spirit by disqualifying ourselves. Well, I'm, that couldn't be God because I'm not feeling up to the task. I'm not sensing it. I'm not good enough. I'm not anointed enough. I'm not whatever. But he came and you simply rebuked them for their unbelief and for their hardness of heart. And then it was over. The rebuke came and then it was over because he says, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, those that were sitting at the table with hardness of heart and unbelief, he said to those, what did he say to them? Go. So I think we just captured everyone in here this morning. I don't think anyone who's in here today can say, I don't qualify, Pastor Ray. I'm struggling in my faith. I'm struggling in my trust. I'm, you know, I'm just really, I don't, I'm not connected to God right now. There's too much going on in my life. And matter of fact, I'm not even, you know, I don't even know if I believe what these other people are telling me about what they witnessed concerning seeing the Lord. I'm just not sure where I'm at. Well, be rebuked and go. <laughs> So you're being sent out this morning as a rebuked one. Many times you think, well, if I'm going to be sent out, I have to be holy, I have to be right, righteous, I have to have all my credentials, I have to have every I dotted, every T crossed, I have to be just right in order to go out. Well, religion may have put that on you, but God hasn't put that on you. Trust him. Trust him. If he rebukes you, it's because he loves you. He's rebuking you because he loves you and he wants you to be on the team and he wants to send you out. Then in verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's good news. That's our charge. That's our commission. That's what the church gets excited about. That's what the church is all about. Going into every community and going all over the earth and proclaiming the good news of God's grace. This is our message. This is our message. Amen? This is what we're called to do. But look at the next verse. You know, the question is, you know, did Jesus, did he muddy the waters here in verse 16 when he also brought up uh, uh, the eternal fate of those who reject the gospel that we proclaim? Verse 16 says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. He who does not believe will be condemned. So all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute. I thought it's all about preaching good news. And it is all about preaching good news. The gospel is the good news. And we are commissioned to go into all the world and to present the gospel, the, the, the grace of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. But we also need to understand that as, as the body of Christ, as we follow Jesus, as we purpose to follow in his steps and be disciples of Jesus, and we are students of his word, we are going to hear from Jesus several warnings throughout scripture. We're gonna hear several warnings from him concerning eternal damnation. Now, if you have a church background, there's, there's various church backgrounds represented here. I can remember being in church, and I, I now refer to them as I refer to them as hellfire and brimstone preaching. 
That's where you get saved one week, and the next week you come back again. You'd have so much guilt and condemnation preached at you that you're convinced you have to get born again again because certainly you had a bad thought, and with that bad thought, you're not going to make heaven. And I, I used to call them white-knuckle sermons because you'd hang on to the pew in front of you with your hands, you know. You'd hang on because God forbid, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doomed for hell. I thought I was right last week, but certainly I had a bad thought this week or a bad deed, and I'm doomed for hell. And so everything, you know, just so much emphasis was put on eternal damnation. Eternal damnation. This one church I went to for several years, every year on Father's Day, he would preach about that bald prophet that the, the kids were making fun of him because of his bald, and then a she-bear came out of the woods and killed the kids. It's like, <laughs> hello. <laughs> The bald preacher on Father's Day. I guess he's looking for revenge. <laughs> but anyway, you know, so we, we have various backgrounds. Mine was like overly consciousness of eternal damnation and, and a lot of guilt and condemnation being spoken. And every time something wasn't quite right, you know, you're reminded of, you know, you, you, you're burning hell for that or that type of thing. And, and, but then, then there's the other side of the coin where some people it's like, well, I'm not even sure they believe in eternal hell. You know, if, a, if God is love, how could he send people to hell? And so we don't even believe there's a hell. And so we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to talk about good things. We just want to encourage people and we don't want people to feel bad. We don't feel, want them to feel afraid. Well, no, I don't, you know, so, but you don't want to go from the ditch over here into the ditch over on this side. We want to stay right in the middle of the road, the truth of God's word. Amen. And so this message this morning is, is, a, is, is for us, the body of Christ, to help us to be motivated to be encouraged and to be strengthened and have a, a greater consciousness of why it's important that we, even though we need to be rebuked because of our unbelief and our hardness of heart, we are still commissioned to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And this is to give us some, some uh, heartfelt motivation. Just hold your place there for a moment and turn to Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Let's look at, beginning at verse 10. The Apostle Paul is writing here to the church at Corinth. And he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to in your conscience. Then in verse 14, jump down to verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. So what the Apostle Paul is, is, is communicating here is that he, he's saying that it's God's love that compels us to present the gospel. And, the other, and, and so it was the love of God that, that compels him to share the gospel. And also, he had an understanding of the terror of the Lord for those who reject the gospel. And that fear, and that thought of someone perishing and being eternally separated from God motivated him 
to endure the afflictions that he endured, the imprisonments that he had to go through, and all the trials and the beatings that he went through. It was the terror, knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing the eternal destiny of someone who rejects the gospel. And then the love of God, because God's love was in his heart, and he also knew the consequences of someone who rejects the gospel, yet he had a tremendous uh, compulsion, and he was propelled and compelled by the love of God to, to do what needed to be done. And that's what I want us to capture. I want us to capture that same heart and that same sense of urgency as we follow Jesus. And, and, and like I said, we're going to have several warnings as we follow Jesus. These are words of Jesus. It's like as one preacher shared the story how he had been preaching on hell, doing a series on, on the subject of hell. And he said some guy came up to him and said, you know, I really don't like it's preaching about hell. It says, I just really wish you'd preach about the meek and the gentleness of Jesus, and, you know, the man that he is. Just preach about Jesus. And the pastor retorted and he said, I, he said, I am preaching about Jesus, and it's me studying the life of Jesus and reading Jesus' teachings where I got this information about hell. So the idea that Jesus is all about goodness and mercy he is, but he also gives us very stern warnings of the consequences of rejecting God's goodness and God's mercy. And so that should motivate us. That should, that should propel us to, with an urgency to, to be bold and, and to receive the rebuke for hardness of heart and unbelief and go out and go about the Father's business. For example, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus told a, a, a a riveting story about a man that died and went to hell in Luke chapter 16. So let's go ahead and read beginning in verse 19. It says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at the gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that as the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abram afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and sent Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and now he, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So basically, there's two people. Two individuals, one went to the place of torment, Hades, also known as hell, and the other one's in Abraham's bosom, which now is heaven, that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God the Father. And so one's in heaven, one's in hell, and it shows the finality of it. There's no going from one place to the other. Once you're there, you're there. 
And so, but this man that's in this place of torment is so tormented that he's begging for someone to go back to his father's house and to, and to, and to forewarn his brothers lest they also come to this place of torment. So it is a place of torment. Abram said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them, let them hear them. And he, he said, no, Father Abram, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rises from the dead. So this man pleads with Abram to send a messenger, messenger to his father's house. Says, I have five brothers that he may testify to them. So there's this great urgency for this person that's in Hades, this place of torment, eternal flames. He's begging for someone to put just a, a tip, dip your finger in the water and just dip it on my tongue to give me just a little smidget of relief. This place is, this, this place is horrible. It's, 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 it's a place of torment, and I do not want my brothers to come here. And so Jesus is telling, relating this story. And, and so recognize again that it's Jesus. He, he's sharing the story. And in the story, he's, you, you can keep reading through. There's, there's many lessons. And each verse has something to do with eternity. You know, again, the gap between it, the, the, the finality of your destination and so forth. And so it's all in there. But we don't have, we're not going to take the time to unpack that this morning. I just wanted to give this one to you. Then also in Matthew 10, 28, Jesus said, gave these stern words. When he said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They, they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's the only thing you need, you need to fear. And in Mark chapter 9, turn to Mark 9 if you would. Mark 9, verse 42. We'll read just a few verses here. It says, but who, Jesus is warning here of the seriousness of offense and the, the consequences of not dealing with issues. He said, but whoever calls us one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. Where the worm does not die, the fire is not quenched. Then he goes on and talks also about the foot or the eye. You know, it's better to lose a foot and spend eternity in heaven than, you know, so it just continues there, but I encourage you to read it. But Jesus warns here of, of offenses and the eternal consequences being hell. So these are just a few of the warnings Jesus issued to those who reject God and reject God's mercy and reject God's grace. Now, I share these with you today, not for you to go out and knock on your neighbor's door and say, okay, neighbor, here are three different things that Jesus said about hell, and if you don't agree with me, this is where you're going. This is to motivate us 
It's not that people don't need to be told that, but they need to be told in a loving, healthy relationship where you, know, where, where you have that right place to share that. But this is to motivate us to share the good news of the gospel. Jesus said more about hell than any other person in the Bible. Yet he was and he is the greatest expression of love ever revealed to mankind. So it's not one or the other. Jesus, the greatest expression of the love of God. God demonstrated his love toward us while we were yet sinners in Jesus having died for us. In Jesus having died for us while we were yet in our sin. The greatest expression of the love of God is Jesus having come from heaven to earth and from the earth he went to the cross. He shed his blood and died, was buried, but on the third day God raised him again from the grave. The love of God. True love will warn you if it sees you heading in the wrong direction. No, is it a negative thing if you know a bridge is out and you put a sign up informing others that the bridge is out? Is that a negative thing or is that a positive thing? That's a positive thing. It's not negative at all. Does a person really love me if they see me heading down the road where the bridge is out and they don't put a sign up and warn me. Do they really love me? Not really. Well, I don't want to offend him. I don't want to distract him. He's got a lot to do and he has places to go and people to see. And, you know, I don't want to interfere with his life. Please do. (laughs) Please do interfere. I beg you to interfere. Likewise, people that are not yet walking with God, have not yet accepted the, the, the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, they want you, they want us to step into their lives and to warn them about the bridge that's at. Will everyone accept that warning? Maybe not, I don't know, but it's our responsibility to share it with them to share it with them. The apostle, when you read the teachings of the Apostle Paul throughout the book of Acts, there's uh, several times where, where he presents the gospel and then he said, you know, what, what you do, I'm paraphrasing now, but they said, what you do with it's up to you. You know, the blood is no longer on my hands. You read terminology like that in, in, in the book of Acts and say, well, you know, what, what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, if you had a responsibility to do something, to warn someone or to do something for somebody, and you didn't do it, and that person was injured or died or whatever, then the blood of that person was on your hands because you disobeyed God. But Apostle Paul is basically saying, I've done what I'm supposed to do. I presented the gospel to you. You reject it. That's on you. It's no longer on me. So we don't want it to be on us. Once we share the gospel, again, but that's not, not just a flippant attitude. Well, I'm going to share it and what you do with it. That's up to you. We, you know, I'm talking about heartfelt. The Apostle Paul says it's the love of God that compels us. It's the terror of the Lord knowing the eternal destiny of someone who dies without having received Jesus as Lord and Savior. That scares me. That frightens me. And it's not just some unknown people out there. It may be your spouse. It may be your son or daughter. Maybe your grandparents, grandchildren. 
It's not just out there in Timbuktu. We're talking about family members of Grace Church needing to come to a place of receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. So let's allow the Holy Spirit, the urgency of the Holy Spirit, just to bring it up, raise it up a few levels for us, and really be able to say that we love God and we love God's people, and we're allowing God to warm our hearts towards his people and sharpening our skills to communicate his love to those people. And like the Apostle Paul, be aware of and know the terror of the Lord and allow that to persuade you to be really bold and to be really courageous and, 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 to, have your, and, and to have your speech seasoned with grace and with salt and to always have a word prepared in due season for when people ask you. Now, I want to share this with you today. Again, we don't have time to, to go into both chapters and really look at it, at it in detail, but I encourage you to read it on, on your own. But in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, remember Acts 1 is what we started this series with, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses. Well, Peter is one of those that received the Holy Spirit, the power to be witnesses. And if you read the rest of the chapter, you read into chapter 2, Peter, at the, at, towards the end of the chapter there, he preaches a message. He's preaching the gospel. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ. He preached about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a very basic gospel message. And the people heard him. The people heard him. Let's find this. Uh, verse uh, 30, just one verse in there, verse 37. Peter's audience, the Jewish audience, they heard Peter, and they responded, and they said, what must we do to be saved? I thought, wow, wouldn't that be nice if when I'm at Gold's Gym and I share a nugget of truth concerning the gospel, if people would just stop and say, what must I do to get that? I mean, that's like an open door. What must you do? Let me tell you what you must do. Let me tell you what you must do. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, that's like a dream come true where you finally, when you finally give testimony to the goodness of God and, and thousands of people respond and say, hey, sounds good. What do we have to do? So that was Peter. How many people think the apostle Paul was also a pretty good preacher, something like a Peter? You know, he wrote most of the New Testament. He was called by God. We get into Acts chapter 17, you have Paul preaching a message, and the people responded. He was at Mars Hill, and the people responded and said, what babbler is this? You're really teaching some strange things. Just, we'll hear you later on this. Peter preached, and the people were open and receptive Paul preached the same message, and the people call him a babbler, which means seed picker. It's a poor person that goes into the fields after the harvesters have gone through, and they pick up the seeds. Basically, it's a beggar begging for scraps. So they insulted him. What's the difference? And why am I sharing it this morning? The difference is, in Acts chapter 2, Peter's audience was a Jewish audience. The Jewish people that Peter was preaching to were familiar with God 
and Abraham. They were familiar with the Levitical priesthood. They, were, they had a sin consciousness, and they understood that sin must be atoned for by the shedding of blood. That was a part of their culture. That's the culture, that's the mindset that, that these people were in. You know, they, they had a God consciousness, they had a sin consciousness, and they also had a comprehension that there's a penalty for sin, and it's to shed blood. Peter comes across these people, and he starts preaching to them about sin and how about God finally has taken care of the sin by his son Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood once and for all. And they're like responding, wow, we don't have to do this Levitical thing anymore? Sign me up. That's basically what they're saying. Sign me up. What do I do? Where do I sign? And he just simply said, repent and receive Jesus. And 3,000 people were added to the church. The apostle Paul preached his audience was Greek. They were into wisdom. They were an enlightened people. They were woke. <laughs> they were philosophical. They were really into enlightenments. They had a God consciousness, but all kinds of gods. They believed in everything and anything. And they loved to debate and sat around and had their discussions and so forth. And that's the environment that Paul was in. And he presented the gospel to them and said, what babbling is this? So this Greek culture had no God consciousness of God Almighty. They had no sin consciousness. Everything was cool. Everything was fine. What's truth to you is truth to you. What you believe, you believe. You know, everything's good. We're all good. There are all these different gods that they were had inscribed on their altars and so forth. They even had the unknown God, and Paul had the wisdom to, you know, to use that as a launching point. But my point being is the culture of the Greeks completely, un, for lack of a better term for today, I'm going to call it an unchurched culture. They didn't grow up in church. They weren't baptized. They weren't in children's church. They didn't hear the Bible stories. They had uh, just no God consciousness whatsoever. And for Paul to come along and preach Christ and him crucified and, and shed his blood for the mission of your sins, they're like, what are you talking about? Peter's culture had a consciousness of sin knew that sin must, there's a penalty for sin, and to hear that the penalty is finally paid for once and for all, that was like really, really good news. I grew up with a God consciousness. I grew up knowing that there's a, you know, with a, a, an awareness of sin, right from wrong. And when I finally heard the good news presented that God loves me and Jesus died for my sins, I remember saying, wow, that's good. To me, it was fire insurance. I thought, you mean I'm not going to go to hell? That's basically what I'm, you mean I'm not going to go to hell? I'm going to sign me up. Sign me up. I can finally have assurance that I'm not going to spend eternity in hell by receiving Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's, that was the hook that hooked me. But I have to be conscious of the fact that That was a couple decades ago. <laughs> what? One. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Four decades ago. <laughs> the culture 
has changed. So I can't assume that people I witness to today are going to hear it the way I heard it. I can't assume that when my children are in school, that their peers in school are going to be the same as my peers when I was in school. When you start off with the Pledge of Allegiance and the Lord's Prayer in public school, in a Greek school known as Reinhold's Elementary School, the Cocalico Eagles. That's as close as I've ever come to liking eagles. But anyway. <laughs> just, just lost the culture. Just, just lost the audience. My whole point being is you must know your audience, and I just blew it. <laughs> so anyway, back to my point. Paul's audience was completely different than Peter's audience. Today, know your audience. Any successful public speaker, Christian or non-Christian, school teacher, public speaker, rule number one is know your audience. Know who you're talking to. If you're talking to someone that's of a Greek mindset, intellectual enlightenment, someone that is woke, say, well, you may be woke, but you're still lost. Anyway, we, we, we need to know how to present the gospel according to the people that we're communicating to. And so you can know that. You can have discernment. You pray, and God will lead you and guide, and, and guide you, and he will give you the ability. He will give you the ability, and he will give you the heartfelt compassion because of the terror of the Lord of someone who, who uh, passes on without ever having received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, knowing the eternal fate of such an individual needs to compel us and the love of God compelling us enough to warn people and to tell people that there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. And yes, you too can have a clear, concise, and compelling presentation of the gospel to the people that God leads you to, to the people that are within your spheres of influence. To the, again, it may be family members. Say, well, I can't talk to my own family. Pray and ask God to send labors to your family. And every day, every moment of every day, you go out knowing this morning that as Jesus talked to the people in, in, in the book of Mark, to the disciples, he rebuked their hardness, of, their hardness of heart and their unbelief. And then he said, go. So go from here today and every day from here on out, preach the gospel. And if you have to, use words. But you may not have to. Your preaching may be your life, and someone else will have the words. Some are sowing, some are watering, some are reaping the harvest. But by all means, be engaged in the harvest in one way, shape, or form in Jesus' name. Amen.